Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Cabin Devils. Mr. Dave, how have you been, sir? Oh, that is a really hard question today. <laughs> <laughs> I have not had a good day. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do you catch yeah, my, my microphone on my brand new cell phone stopped working. And when I tried to correct the problem uh, by updating the software, it made all the rest of the phone stop working. So I have been spending hours trying to do that. That's why I'm using my wife's phone right now. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a reason for us to start therapy for conflict. <laughs> Was uh, it out of an accident? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. But we just had an hour conversation. Well, not quite an hour, but with mm. Gibson and his fiance, who are probably listening right now. We had a wonderful chance to talk to them. They're getting married on January 22nd. And I'd like to invite all of your <laughs> listeners to, oh no, I probably shouldn't do that. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm glad you're able to just have a conversation with Kipson. He's a very good friend of mine. I was with him actually this past Thursday in a fellowship that we uh, both attend. And it's, it's, oh, it's been awesome. It's been years. Actually, him and I attended the first World of Life camp in Uganda, teens camp. Uh, in Uganda here, 2003. Wow. And so he's been, a, he's a long, long, good, long old friend. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go straight into our conversation. It looks like it's one of those difficult Fridays um, where people just want to be alone and, and, and rested. And so our numbers are going to trickle in a little bit uh, slower than usual, but that's okay. It's been a very difficult day. Not difficult. Difficulties are... Uh, is a very extreme word, but hard, long day. Um, we've been having games, been stunning most of the time, but I've been looking forward uh, to this uh, particular uh, time with us. As World of Life, we've been celebrating with the team and just uh, celebrating what God has been doing this whole year. In fact, these past two years, and we've been having fun with friends, uh, playing, and so I had to find a moment to be able to rest. But guys, thank you so much for being here. Chigozi Maria, glad that you're here. Frank Mato, awesome. Uh, Lindsay, glad to have you back. And Faith and Gibson, yes, he's right here uh, with us. Dave, I would like us to just get into our conversation straight. The rest of the team and crew will find us uh, long gone. Why? Because for the last two episodes, we've been looking for time and I don't want to waste any time. Today, we're talking about conflict. Uh, in a Christ-centered marriage. And I've been thinking about three specific questions. Um, and they're going to start with the easier ones as we, as, we, as we get into them. And I hope that we'll be able to find some solutions. One of them that I don't think is unique to me uh, or to us as a, as, as a couple is the question of how do I look today? And uh, <laughs> we've been able, Dave, Grace and I, to find a couple of guiding principles, but I don't want to compromise people's minds right now and, and, and begin to give them our thoughts. But for you, 40 years later, you qualify to compromise our minds and give us some of the guiding principles that you have used to answer that question, especially coming from the wife. How do I look today? Why? This is how it plays out. And I'm sure, Dave, you're familiar with this scenario you say well you look fine and then she goes and changes and puts on a different dress and says how about this one and i say ah, i said you looked fine even this one looks fine 
and then she goes back and changes and it she sounds like it feels like she, she's not hearing you saying you look fine and it becomes a problem when you even give a different view of what you think now sometimes she may put on the fourth one and say ah that doesn't look really good that one looks better and she says well i'll go with the fourth one and you're asking why did you ask me in the first place now i do not know if that is just me dave but it can be a source of conflict of course it's not the conflict that will light the house on fire but it can also ruin a day especially if you're going for a wedding or going for a sunday uh, service but how have you handled that for the last 40 years dave well you've just given me an idea for a book called game <laughs> The title will be Games Couples Play. <laughs> and and I I think that this is one of those areas where we maneuver and we dance and we, we 1 Peter 3:7 which we've talked about numerous times mm. uh is the command for the husband to know his wife. So obviously the answer will be different for every couple. Um we are called to honor our wife but if she's genuinely asking for our opinion perhaps the the easiest way is to express preferences for one thing over another so my wife puts a dress on and i say that looks fine she puts another one on and i say you know i think i like the first one better it makes you look really skinny <laughs> and she says, "Oh, okay. So I'll wear the because my wife will often say the one I want to please most is you. So I want mm. to know what you like the best. So I I I would probably very infrequently say I don't like that. Um <laughs> more often than not she will say she doesn't like something, say, "Oh, really? I really like that." And she'll wind up keeping that dress or that whatever uh it might be so it, the maybe the the more tactful way i don't know that i've very often said i don't like something would be to say you know i think i like you better in blue than yellow or mm. in green than black and then you've expressed a preference without in any way diminishing her which would be that the preference right now is i like you and uh i think that's awesome man i'm learning new stuff today i'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> but 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 sue uh, could you just give us a glimpse of what goes on in your minds when you're doing that changing dresses and coming back in different colors like christmas tree <laughs> what, what what's going on in the in the lady's mind at that point help us get a glimpse of what's happening um well i think there's a lot of things going on when you're going to go out let's say it's for a wedding or for a special service or something you want to look nice but there's a lot of other things that you want you want to make sure that what you are wearing is decent is not going to call attention incorrectly to anything um it's flattering you want it you want to look your best and the person you have to ask about that is your husband because unless you still have kids at home like when my daughters were home I'd ask them too because then they they daughters understand better how to answer that kind of question anyway but um there's there's a lot of things going on you you want to feel good you want to feel that you look nice but you want to look nice for your husband 
But oftentimes you don't really want to hear, nah, that doesn't look very good because then that makes you feel insecure because you might have thought, oh, I did like what I had on, but I guess that's not good then. So it's, it is kind of tricky because you want your husband to be honest. And for us wives, we need to be able to, if, if we ask, then we need to be ready to hear what he really thinks. If I don't want to know what he thinks, then I shouldn't ask. Um, but if I'm asking, I'm giving him the right to tell me because I did ask. So there, there's a lot of different things going on right there. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're listening to is for more than 40 years of experience. And I love that statement. If you don't want to know, don't ask. But I also understand that you want to please your husband. And so when he's pleased, definitely you, you feel comfortable uh, with what you're wearing. Let me ask another question before you can, we can switch back to, to Dave. Dave has a whole 30 minutes, but let me ask another question. It's, it's kind of related to the first one and it's about looks. I don't understand why. Maybe there is a reason why. So you're driving and she goes like seeing another lady out of the, at the road and says, um, hey, that lady looks nice in that dress. And sometimes I do not know what to answer because it's, it's complicated. This is how it's complicated. I'm not allowed to say that lady looks nice in that dress, at least as a first statement. And that, that, that's kind of... Uh, difficult to comment on what would you expect when, if you would mention a statement like that in complimenting another lady, uh, either you're driving or something and say that lady looks nice in that dress. What would be the, the, the more comfortable response you would expect uh, from Dave? So as not to be a conflict. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to remember if that happens because I am the world's worst observer. Usually Dave will say something. I'm like, where? I didn't see it. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty bad because I don't see a lot of things that he sees. And I tend to not be bothered too much by different things that Dave says anyway, because half the times he's joking. So it's not a big deal. But if I say, oh, I really think that woman over there is beautiful or I really like the dress that he has on, that she has on, oh, excuse oh. me, sorry, <laughs> the dress that she has on, um, mm. I would not have a problem with Dave saying, yes, she does look nice or whatever. Now, normally, because my husband tends to be really quick on his feet, he's he's really good. He will say, but not nearly as nice as you would look. He 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 knows how to play it right. Um, so he gives good answers. But I don't think that would bother me if I brought it up and said, I really like what so-and-so is wearing or I think she looks really nice. And if he agreed with me, I, I would be fine with that. Or sometimes he would say, ah, I don't like that as much. And that would be fine, too. So I'm not really sure. Do you have insights on that one? I, I think maybe the classic response um, mm -hmm. for the husband would be something along the lines like, what girl? <laughs> <laughs> and then you could sing, sing a classic, I only have eyes for you. Awesome. Awesome. Now, the worst part, I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. The worst part would be if she's wearing blue and you go like, um, I told you blue looked nice. 
<laughs> yeah. Really, there are times when it's just better for the husband to keep his mouth shut. And, and you know, I, there was a, a word of life director in Argentina mm. that I've never been to Argentina, but uh, I, I did hear that he had this sign behind his office desk and it said, never miss an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. Whoa. And that was probably that that comes straight from Proverbs. Mm -hmm. So there's just times it's wiser to not say anything and and go. Awesome. That that's I mean, thank you. Thank you so much. Definitely I'll take I think it was Joel's advice saying get a notebook. And I think I'm learning a lot of things today as well. The questions are going to get a bit difficult as we go on, but the other that I believe, I know we began with uh, with questions concerning preferences, but it's going to get um, it's going to get a bit more complex with this question. Uh, it's not a preference issue at, at this point. Why? And this is another area that can be can easily turn into a major conflict or has turned into a major conflict in most marriages. And the statement goes something like this. When either your wife or your husband confronts you about either a WhatsApp chat or a friendship with a particular individual, and the answer usually sounds like this, she's just a friend or he is just a friend. Now, I want to also say, what if they are just a friend? What if he is just a friend or she is just a friend? Has that come up with you? Have you have you experienced this with other couples? And how would you handle a situation like that where the one individual feels like they're just a friend, but the other seems to be very protective. They want the password to the phone. They want to be able to listen into every conversation. How have you been able to answer or deal with things like those? And this actually applies to even some of us who might be on this show right now and are thinking about dating or in a relationship that leads to marriage. Um, you want to be able to have good answers for questions like this or statements like this where someone asks you about another and the reply could be correct or not. They are just a friend. But that can be one area of a very major catastrophe, if not paid attention to one, they could be more than a friend and you just do not know, but the other partner is able to spot uh, a glitch in the, in the whole relationship. But Dave or Sue, uh, how would you, how have you handled a situation like that? Well, in a relationship, a marriage relationship, the one of the most foundation important qualities is the area of trust. I need to trust my husband and he needs to trust me. And so if there is something that's happening that my husband raises a red flag or the other way, I need to trust that he understands something or he sees something that maybe I don't. And if this is making him in uncomfortable, he is the person who is closest to me this relationship is the most important. And this is the one that we need to cultivate and we need to allow Christ to work in. And so if there is another relationship that he is not comfortable with or something that's happened, then I need to submit to him. And, and that's it, that what he says goes. And the same works the other way. We, we have 
learn to depend on each other. If I think some woman who is coming for counsel or asking questions has ulterior motives, I will say something and he will immediately listen to what I say. And honestly, he usually will not talk more than once in a counseling session with someone without drawing me in or sending them over to me. It's just being wise. It's being careful not to play with fire. It's, it may be uh, an overreaction on our part, but when Titus receives instructions from the Apostle Paul about relationships in the context of the, the local church, Titus chapter 2, Paul gives instructions on Titus's involvement with older men, with younger men, with older women, but he has nothing to say about any involvement that Titus would have as a pastor in Crete with younger women. In fact, he tells Titus to invest in the lives of older women, mature women, so that they can invest in the lives of these younger women. So my first would concern would be that a man, whether in ministry or not, be having continual direct contact communication with a woman who is, is not his wife. No, I'm not saying that cannot happen. There cannot be friendships and occasional interaction, but it does raise a concern for me, a warning flag. And we have seen throughout the world so, so, so many cases of situations like this that have crossed the line of any form of innocent friendship into emotional and or sexual involvement. So we need to protect ourselves. Uh, one thing that we do, we have immediate and complete access to each other's cell phones. I know all of the passwords. She knows all of the passwords. We have nothing to hide from one another. Now, there are times before birthdays, or Christmas or other moments when there may be certain groups or conversations that would be off limits, but that would be because uh, of a surprise that is being planned. Um, having that kind of liberty and access is itself a, a preventive measure. Uh, one of the things that she's already mentioned, and I know that not everyone who listens to us, or many are probably not in ministry, uh, but ministry has been one of the key areas where the enemy has attacked. And I've lost three pastors to sexual indiscretion in the ministry. So this is a very serious area. I immediately draw my wife in when women enter into con contact because of some book of ours they're re they've read, a message they've heard, if a woman comes gets into contact, I will give her brief and, and objective biblical responses and then immediately pass on to her the WhatsApp of my wife, Telegram, email, and she then takes on uh, the role of counseling women. That is not my job. That is something that the older women are to do. Awesome. Um that's that's really that's really awesome. Uh, thank you, thank you so much uh, that we can be able to learn uh, from you. And uh, this this opportunity is is it's gold. Let me put it that way. We may never have a chance uh, to come to Brazil 
Um, but we are able to sit down with you and just learn from you like as if we were in your sitting room. And I really treasure these moments. Uh, Dave, one of the things I would like you to do, maybe just to think about, at least promise that you will think about, is to develop some material for us with another area that I believe has been, especially for a particular age group of some of us who are married, probably not more than a particular number of years, when it comes to housework, please tell me you will think about developing material. I want to call it, it's a book or something, just call it Men That Do Dishes. And I know I said I'm going to keep uh, just disturbing you over this until we get a moment when we can be able to discuss this. You are this. really, yeah, you are fixated on this dishes thing. Please, please you know, just, David, just, let me, just, Dave, just tell me you will think about it. Just, that's enough. I've, I've, that's enough. I've been doing dishes my whole life, but listen, we learned, <laughs> we learned a lot in our trips to Africa. Uh, and one of the things we've learned in ministering in multiple cultures Mm. is biblical principles do not change, but their practice varies from culture to culture. And we saw very clearly, um, I, wait, I think somebody's here. Uh, we saw very clearly uh, in certain African cultures that things that I might normally do with my wife in public or in even practices at the home, in uh, mm. some cultures, I would be considered demon possessed. She she cast a spell <laughs> on me, and and we need to be sensitive to some of those cultural issues. Now, mm. for example, uh, my wife, I think I mentioned this on one program. She is a runner. Even as a grandmother, she continues to run. She ran eight kilometers this morning. The other day, she fell and she scraped her whole body. Well, she cannot do dishes. Um, it, it, I, I have been doing the dishes this week. I usually do dishes on when, on Sunday. Um, mm. I do not feel like that I have become effeminate because I do some things around the home, but I do believe that every couple needs to come to its own conclusions and, and work together as a complementary team to divide up the work. I would never, and I strongly resist the idea that either of them is paid for housework. We're members of a team. Our children worked an hour every day. Now they did get a small allowance um, as members of our team that they could use and we could teach them, but they did not work for, uh, in that case, their, their household tasks were because they were part of the family team. They were not being paid to do that. And so I know that article that you mentioned and, and some things that people are talking about, well, then the wife should be paid for what you do. All of their finances should be together anyway. The money that he makes is the money is her money as well. And every decision in the finances of the home should be decided on together. In the end, yes, he will have to make the final decision. But if he's doing that without consulting his wife, then I think he's foolish. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a preview. If it was a book, we're just looking at the back part of the book. And I, I do like, <laughs> I do like the fact that you mentioned in some cultures they would think you're demon possessed, um, and it's true. There's still some cultures where there's statements like that uh, that can be attributed to men who. Uh, would be found in the kitchen. Actually, in some cultures, it's taboo for the man to be in the kitchen for several reasons. Probably they eat the food way before it's ready or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but this is a final question for you, Dave, before we can dive into our time together. 
And it's really a yes or no question that maybe um, it's going to be, I, I don't know, but let me just ask the question. Are there things that women just don't get when we're talking about conflict? They just don't get, we just have to move on. Like they don't understand why we watch soccer and things like that. Are there some areas where we should just avoid bringing up the discussion in the first place? It would just burn the entire house down or the other <laughs> way around. Are there things that men just don't get uh, Carol, for those of the ladies who are listening in there, some areas we just don't need to talk about. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that um, I, I, God was very creative when he made us as complementary beings. And there are things that men do not, cannot, will not see. There are things that women cannot, will not, and do not see. Um, this area that we've mentioned, the, the sexual area, it is very, very difficult for women to understand how a man can be excited, stimulated, interested, attracted by someone that there is no contact, no personality, nothing like that. And that can be so difficult and offensive for a wife to think that her husband would even be remotely attracted to some woman standing on a street corner. Um, when a, a woman would normally, things have changed greatly in, in, in recent years due to pornography, women addicted to pornography as well. Um, but for a woman, there, there is so much more that would be involved in an attraction to another man in terms of, of kindness and, and consideration and sensitivity and strength and, and, and meekness with strength that a, 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 a visual attraction would seem just seems odd to her. And, and for men, what, what doesn't, do you see the arms on that guy? Like I'll comment to my wife, man, do you see how strong that guy is? And she says that that doesn't attract me. So I, I don't get it. I just don't understand. And she doesn't understand, but that's okay. God made us different. And, and we are to study one another and to do what we can to understand each other. And that's part of love as well. Awesome. Thank you guys for being here. Please go ahead and let your friends know that Cabin Devils is live and we have Dave and Carol uh, Sue with us um, just to be able to talk about conflict in a Christ-centered marriage. Let me also remind you to follow Cabin Devils right here on Podbean, but wherever you're listening to in terms of a, a recorded podcast, if you listen to this later, please go ahead and tap the subscribe button. Also, go ahead and visit cabindevils.com and just leave us your email address and uh, name, if, if, if that's okay with you. Why? Because we intend to share with you more content, especially concerning the last three episodes that we've had with Dave. And two, when it comes to some of the PowerPoints and notes that you'll be forwarding to me, will be shared on there. And so at this point in time, allow me to just simply welcome Dave and Sue to talk to us exclusively from God's Word. Dave, you're welcome. Thank you so much. And uh, we have so much enjoyed these conversations together and the time for laughter and also to share principles. And we'll do a little bit more of that today uh, as we talk about Christ-centered marriage, as we strive to please the Lord by grace, not by our own performance, understanding that every, every ounce of strength comes from him, every bit of wisdom comes from his word. Uh, and our, our goal, together with the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God, is that He would mold us to look like Christ 
in the context of our relationships for those who are married, in the context of our marriages, knowing that God is glorified when we look like his son, Jesus. And to keep that from being an abstract, esoteric concept, looking like Jesus means living the kind of life that Jesus lived. And ultimately, the life that Jesus lived was a life not to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom for many. So when Paul says in Galatians 2, I, Dave, am crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live with Christ. I rose with Christ. But it's not I who live. It's actually Christ now living his life through me. Someone has said that I. it is impossible for you or me to live the Christian life. Because the Christian life is by definition, the life of Christ. And so I cannot live the life of Christ. Christ must live the life of Christ in and through me. We've seen how that manifests itself in our communication as we focus more on the other than on ourselves, as we consider the other's well-being than our own as we put to death the anger that so quickly rises up within us and instead of harsh words, use soft words that diffuse a situation in an other-centered way. We saw that Jesus' words were full of grace as well as truth. But as we talk today, we want to finish our week thinking more about the area that was pointed out in our last program so intimately related to our communication is conflict. And the first thing I want to say, especially to the younger members of the audience, those who have, or might maybe not even in a relationship with a person of the opposite sex, or maybe the engaged couples, those who are recently married, you need to understand that conflict is inevitable when two sinners unite. At any moment, the closer that we come to another sinner, and we know that all of us are sinners, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what sinners do is sin. Hunters hunt, fishers fish, and sinners sin. And sin inevitably is hurtful. Sin is never a private issue. So often people will say, well, no, this is, this is just a private thing. It's something that I do. Sin inevitably manifests itself. It corrupts, it corrodes, it destroys, and it destroys relationships. So every relationship will pass through conflict. And not all conflict is wrong conflict. A lot of conflict, as we've even talked about in the early part of this show, is due to the fact that men and women are different. We come from different family cultures. We come from different regions of the country and our cultures are different. And when we try to blend and mesh the gears of separate lives, they will inevitably be like that person who's just learning to drive a clutch car and, and the, the gears grind. But we, with time, learn to mesh our lives as we work through those conflicts. A relationship without conflicts is superficial. It is 
a purely surface level relationship. Conflict exposes the roots of our lives and um, enables us to grow in grace. Uh, there was a, a time a few years ago when we went, went to a shopping center uh, with some of our children and grandchildren, and we were watching them in an amusement park area. And I happened to sit next to a tree, a palm tree that was planted in that entertainment area of the mall. And it was a beautiful palm tree in a, in a, a, a shallow but well-watered and fertilized container. All of the leaves were perfect. There were no scars or rough parts of any part of those palm trees. The problem is many young people today want a marriage of paradise that would be like a palm tree in a shopping center. But the reality is life is hard. And we are mostly like a palm tree planted at the edge of the sea and the hurricanes come and the gale force winds blow and they blow leaves off and, and they, they damage us. And we have the scars of a lifetime together. And oftentimes those scars come from those who, whom we most love. The reality is if we do not learn how to sink the roots of our lives in the soil of God's grace and forgiveness and acceptance, then we will always be like palm trees planted in a shopping center, weak and frail, and any little wind would blow them over. An artificial and plastic life. I actually discovered later that the palm tree that I was sitting next to wasn't even real. It was plastic. It was artificial. And that's the way it is with our relationships. Show me a couple that says that they have never had a conflict. And I'll show you a couple that lies about a lot of other things as well. Either that or they're living a superficial plastic relationship. The reality in the Bible is that even as sinners, iron sharpens iron. Conflict creates Christ-likeness. One person sharpens the countenance, the characters, character of another. Someone once said, if two people always agree, one of them is unnecessary. When we marry, we don't marry to get someone who will rubber stamp all of our blessed decisions. We marry to have someone who will fill in the gaps, who will point out the blind spots, who will show us the areas of our life that don't look like Jesus. Now, if you are not secure in your identity in Christ, if you do not know what Jesus has done for you, that you have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, and nothing to prove. He knows everything. He died for everything, not just past sins, but future ones as well. When that truth allows us to let down that oh, so heavy golden mask that we try to keep in place, the plastic smile, the mercy, the grace and peace on our lips, and it exposes our hearts for who and what we are. Marriage is the absolute best arena, together with best friendship, I think we could say, but marriage even more as a best friendship exists so that we can allow the other person to be that divine chisel 
to sculpt the image of Christ in our lives. So often that instrument is an instrument in the midst of conflict. Now, here's a question I want to answer, and I'll give multiple answers. And many of these come from a, a wonderful book, which is called Peacemaking for Families by author Ken Sandy. Where in the world does conflict come from? And I'm going to give you eight or nine uh, reasons just to identify why is it that we have conflict. Number one, we have conflict because we married in marriage, I'm talking specifically, a sinner. Already talked about that. All have sinned. Sinners sin. Marriage is like two porcupines. I don't know if you have porcupines in Uganda or Kenya, South Africa, Rwanda, uh, but a porcupine. Imagine on a cold, cold, wintry night, a family of porcupines in their own little den under the ground, and each one of them wants to get warm. And, And to get warm, they draw near one to the other. Well, what inevitably happens when porcupines get too close to one another is they They hurt one another. Our sin prickles, it sticks, it hurts. And much of our conflict is due to the fact that we each sin. Author Dave Harvey in a wonderful book called When Sinners Say I Do, When Sinners Marry, we need to learn to deal with the inevitable conflict that will result. Number two, marriages unite different cultures. At the very least, they unite different family cultures. We have to learn to blend family traditions and who gets up first and who makes breakfast. And yes, David, who does the dishes in our family? Um, Who warms up the car? Who pushes the bicycle? Who does the finances? They are family cultures, but they unite church cultures. We just spoke with Gibson and his fiance, and they come from two different churches. That will bring itself different expectations. Some of your listeners may be married or be contemplating marriage with someone from a different country or a different tribe. That as well affects everything. Number three, we talked about this on Wednesday. Our communication so often is selfish self-centered. Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 talks about the isolated person, the reserved person who only wants to, when he does talk, talk about himself and his own ideas and thoughts and never thinks to consider the other person. You married a sinner. Marriage unites different cultures. Our communication is selfish. Number four, money separates us. Probably in our marriage, this has been one of the areas where we've had as much conflict as any other. I am an impulsive spender. I like at gift time to get lots of little gifts. My wife would like one big gift. And so I would often give her lots of little gifts and she would give me one gift and nobody was happy. Or I would come home from work. This happened for the first 10 years of our marriage. And I just, I said, let's go get a pizza. And she would say, no, I don't think we can get a pizza. And I would say something to the effect, do you know how many women in the world would love to be married to a man like me who would offer to get them pizza? And she might respond something to the effect, one less woman than you think, meaning herself. We have different philosophies of spending money, and we had to learn to blend those philosophies. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. That's also a cause of conflict. Number five, 
We struggle with our roles. And even these things you've talked about, should a husband pay his wife to do dishes in the home and do housework? Uh, what is the role of each one? Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, part of the consequence of sin the fact that the woman wanted to play the role of the man and lead and led them into sin. And the man was omissive and passive and didn't shepherd and protect his wife. God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, that's the way it'll be. Woman, you will try to dominate your husband and he will try to dominate you. And so we have the battle of the sexes. Differences in roles cause conflicts. In our program, we've also talked number six, there are differences between men and women. There are generational differences. Men think one way, women think another. You've probably seen videos on the internet and jokes and in seminars that talk about these differences. And there are some things we will never understand. We need to agree to disagree. Number seven isn't in the book that I mentioned. I made this up myself because it's my testimony we have conflict because we are stubborn and mean and argue for stupid reasons. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says foolishness is bound up in our heart. And so there are days where I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm going to fight with anybody who comes in front of me. And oftentimes our arguments are over stupid things and we're just both not wanting to, to give an inch. And that's one of the reasons we have conflict. Number eight, we also mentioned earlier, we marry for the wrong reason. We marry to have someone that will make us feel, feel happy and important, who will meet all of our needs. And we do not marry in order to be made more holy, but to be made more happy. And so when conflict comes, conflict doesn't make me happy. It does make me more holy if I respond the right way. But I get angry. I get defensive. I, I flee, I tell jokes, I turn the table, I make myself out to be a, a poor, poor, wounded orphan, anything to keep from talking about the subject. And then number nine, we allow idols in our heart to become the source of our identity. James talks about the reason why we have conflict being the fact that we want what we want when we want it. And if my spouse gets in the way of what I want, it may be playing a football game on Saturday morning. It may be watching the best goals of the week after church on Sunday night. It might be eating a certain kind of food. And if she or he gets in my way, of that idol being satisfied, and it doesn't have to be a, a bad thing, it could be a good thing, then woe, woe to that person. Conflict will ensue. Those are some of the reasons, and most of us can probably identify with all of them, if not, certainly most of them, if not all of them. So here's how we want to finish this part of today's program before we would answer any questions. Some brief and practical biblical counsel to how can we not eliminate conflict because we see that it is an instrument in God's hands to make us look like Christ. But how can we deal with conflict and criticism in the context of marriage? The first thing I would say is that we need to receive criticism as the fruit of God's grace 
for producing the life of Christ in you. Conflict and criticism, especially from a spouse, instead of something that we need to reprehend in the name of Jesus, is really something that we should embrace as an opportunity and the privilege to be made more like Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 gives that responsibility really to brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Biblical marriage means that you grant not just the right, but the privilege to your spouse to point out the areas of your life that do not look like Jesus. As we've often said, if you want to discover how unchristlike you are, meaning how selfish you are, just get married. And suddenly, as you share living space and finances and projects and entertainment and hobbies and child rearing, you suddenly discover how much your life has revolved around yourself. And by saying, I do, you automatically are granting to your spouse the wonderful right and privilege to be the principal instrument in God's hands to help you see where you do not look like Christ. That is biblical sanctification. What an incredible opportunity this is. The problem comes when we do not live our identity in Christ. For 10 years, I lived resisting my wife when she would try to point out an area in my life that didn't look like Christ. And as you've probably heard from our programs, she is is so gentle and meek and calm and reserved in the way she does it. And she will think and pray two, three, four times so that she wouldn't be like that woman in Proverbs who was a constant dripping nag in my life or in her husband's life. So when she finally would come to me with something, it's because God had really made it clear to her that something, an area in my life was amiss. But in my hard-headedness, in my masculine fragility, I would resist that. I would fight against that. I would push back. I would excuse myself. I would blame others. I would say she is mistaken. I would try to use jokes. I would use self-pity. Oh, you're right. I really am the worst husband to ever walk the face of the earth. All in the attempt to get her to, to change. Say, oh, no, no, but you do so many wonderful things. Well, that's not the point. And so I was literally in the name of Jesus knocking the chisel out of her hands and the hands of the Holy Spirit so that I would not look like Christ. One day she said to me, Dave, I will not criticize you anymore. I will not bring up any of these areas because you do not know how to receive criticism. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I was scared because I knew enough from God's word. In fact, I'll I'll share this with our listeners. There are 78, at least 78 verses in the book of Proverbs alone that say the way we respond to conflict, the way we respond to criticism, the way we receive instruction and discipline and chastisement determines if we will or will not be wise in God's eyes. Will we look like Jesus or not look like Jesus? Here's the verse in the New Testament that describes that process 
of sanctification, and it truly is a process. Second Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the master sculptor. He sees the original Jesus. He and the the Lord are totally synchronized in the process of making us look like Jesus. He uses his word as the hammer and he uses our spouse, our fiance, our children, our parents as chisels to show us areas in our lives that are still not looking like Jesus. If you are not freed by the truth of the word, which sets us free by the truth of God's grace, if we do not drop the golden mask, drop the defenses, we are condemning ourselves to be stagnant and the same, same for the rest of our lives. So the first step in conflict is humility, is disarming ourselves, listening, hearing, truly hearing areas where we might not look like Jesus so that his image could be produced in us. Now, we mentioned in our last program another step, and that is to compete with one another in our relationships to be the first to accept responsibility for conflicts in the home, for areas where we are responsible. Most couples that we counsel, the first thing they want to do is point out the faults in the other. They want to change the other. That is not what God wants to do in conflict resolution. He wants to use it to change us. The model that the Apostle Paul presents in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says for husbands to love their wives even as Christ loved the church is totally opposite how Adam failed to love Eve. Adam exposed Eve. Even though he was the principal responsible party, he tried to throw all of the responsibility on Eve and even on God. Well, Jesus did the opposite. He had zero guilt and took our guilt upon himself. As men, so often, we we may be 95% wrong, but we're going to defend the hill of 5% until the very last consequence. Well, what we need to do is to be willing right off to do as Christ did, to take upon ourselves the guilt and the sin, to confess our part in the situation. That brings us to the third and most practical answer. And I know a lot heard this in our last program, but it is so essential in the midst of conflict. If we could encourage every couple listening to just practice this one verse, it would make all the difference in the world. So I'll ask Carol Sue to read it. And then just to remind um, the, the way that we saw that in practice in our last program. It comes from Proverbs chapter 15, verse one, and it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we've all seen this take place. Somebody will say something and just an angry response, then that deserves an angry response back and you've got a bad situation. We told in our last podcast the example of when um, an elderly couple was visiting us and he had asked his wife to do something and she had forgotten. And so when he asked her about it and she said, no, she didn't do it, you could see the anger rising and he was he was starting to respond to her in a very harsh way 
say, but she in turn gave a gentle answer to him, a very kind and gentle answer. And that took all of the anger, all of the fury away. This is so practical because it really, really works. And it's what God has asked us to do. We're going to leave you with these three practical suggestions. The next time you find yourself in a conflict, a conflict which has the potential either to divide or to unite. The first is to humble yourself, to truly listen, to not defend, to not justify, to not joke, but to seriously consider what the other is saying in the midst of a a conflict, a difference of opinion. Number two is to, Acknowledge and to confess areas that you have contributed to the problem itself. Number three then would be to return gentle, soft, gracious words instead of escalating the war, but to diffuse the situation, not to flee from the conflict itself, but in a calm and godly manner to deal with the issue, not attacking one another, but before God, seeking to help the other look more and more like Christ. Summarizing what we've been talking about this week, a biblical marriage, a Christ-centered marriage, grows in the other's centeredness, which is each for the other and both for God. He who began a good work in us will perform that until the day of Christ. Our spouse will help us. Our children will pile on and show us more areas of selfishness, of non-other-centeredness. Parents help, pastors and teachers and friends. But ultimately, the goal is that the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, would be using these people as chisels in God's hands to make us look more like Christ Jesus. David, back to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. If you have been blessed, just give me a thumbs up in the chat group if this has been a blessing to you. Dave, I do have three questions uh, for you. Uh, Most of them are not really related to what you've been sharing. Why? Because this is our last podcast here, and I would like the listeners to know that there is hope that we can have more from you. I mean, it took us almost a week to cover most of the content you've shared with us. Number one, you don't have to give us a date, but is there any hope that you'll be coming to Uganda one of these years? I was going to say one of these days, but it's <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Is there a possibility that you're going to be coming to Uganda one of these years? Can we invite you? What does it yes, take to have you here in Uganda for a week? <laughs> what do well, we need very- to do? Even the fact that you would you would um, offer that is is very kind and is encouraging to us. And and even this week, I've been wearing my Uganda jerseys. You you, you can ask my wife. I I love my my Uganda. She just washed it today. So um, I I am a fan. Um, with Word of Life, we have been called to minister to our missionaries, our single and married around the world. We have been to many countries, and one of the very first was to do some conferences with the staff there in Uganda, as well as Kenya and South Africa. Uh, we've been in Mozambique already. Uh, I do, we do not have a date, but in May, we will be meeting with all of the directors of Word of Life fields from around the world. And we will be explaining this ministry to our missionaries, and as we did in Uganda, uh, if they so desire, to others around. 
they would like us to go to places we have not been before. But for example, we've already been to Ukraine and to Portugal twice doing the same material. Uh, so we are uh, with such a big staff involved with the school there in Uganda and now the, the work starting in Rwanda and others could come from nearby countries. Uh, at those meetings in May, we will be opening up our calendar probably for 2023, although October of 2022 is still has some days open. So yes, we are open to that. Um, we need to be wise. We raise our funds to be able to go to the fields. The only thing you would have to do is feed us and pick us up at the airport. That's so easy. That is and so you could easy. also take us. You know what you could do, David? You could take mm -hmm. us to the source of the Nile River. Oh, that would be so much fun. <laughs> I'm not sure about the traffic, but... <laughs> Well, we actually, we did that with you last time. Do you remember? <laughs> yes, I do remember. That's why. We were stuck for an hour, an hour on a holiday in Kampala. It was, that was horrible. Awesome. That was awesome. I loved it. Imagine I did. It was, it was a wonderful that day. We had. It was a beautiful day. Well, there's been some controversy about the source of the Nile. Some think it's in Rwanda. Some think it's in Tanzania. So that, I think, should give us a reason to visit Rwanda in October. But we'll talk about that. <laughs> But, well, I bet here in Brazil, they say it actually begins in the Amazon, but I, I don't. <laughs> but the, the other question I'd like to ask is if you were to cover with us maybe one or two more podcasts here on Cabin Devils, what will be the topics? What do you think should be the topics? I know, I don't know if we've covered anything on parenting or something, but what else is there? Do you have any other uh, topics that are just hidden under your sleeves or magicians never reveal their tricks? I, I, David, I, I'm trying to remember. I'd have to look back on my, my Excel program, uh, what the, the programs we've done because we've spoken so many places since, since then. Um, mm. Certainly, heart-centered parenting uh, is another series that we have developed. And I think even if – I don't remember if we did that with you yet – um, heart-centered parenting. That, that would certainly be a series. Uh, because what, I know we did uh, the one for uh, singles, yeah, right? Uh, yeah. That was a three-session. And there was one before that. Uh, but if you, if you look back and see, heart-centered parenting would be one. I, again, um, I don't know where most of your listeners are and how helpful that would be if most are single, if most are young marrieds. Um, but we love talking about parenting it's an area that is very, um, very special for us. Awesome. Um, one other thing is those of you who will be listening in later on, I'll be able to give us maybe references to some of the books that Dave and Sue have written, at least the ones in English, Portuguese, and uh, the other languages. We'll leave them alone for now. But the ones in English, I'll definitely put those uh, in, the, in the notes for this episode. Uh, okay. For us to be able to know the places where they are found. But Dave, let me just ask... Um, one question here. Among the uh, the reasons you gave us why conflict becomes a problem in marriage um, was point number seven that says sometimes uh, we, sometimes we just we fight about foolish things. Um, and and I know the way David Chevira put it once on this podcast was he gave us a scenario and said, imagine you are both uh, probably ninety eight years old. Um, and holding each other's hands at the point of your death, what would be the conversation you would be having? And if it's not dishes, if it's not socks, if it's not uh, the dress you wore the other day, then it doesn't matter. 
then it doesn't matter. And, and, and those are some of the things we've, we've spent probably 40 years in marriage and 20 have been concerning socks and, uh, and dishes. <laughs> um, and, and that's someone, one of the guides he used. But there's a gentleman I listened to, I'm sure you know him, uh, Phil Mosher. He's spoken on some of the leadership conferences um, with World of Life. He has four cups. And I don't know if I'll get all of these correct, but he mentions one to do with wisdom. And he says, whatever conflict you may have, whatever area of concern you may have as a couple, find what cup to put it in and don't mix the cups. And he has four cups. One is preferences. The other is uh, wisdom. And I think the other is morality and conscience. Preferences, wisdom, morality, and Conscience, and he says, don't get the cup of preferences and put all those issues in the cup of morality because they are two different things. There's nothing wrong with a red dress, nothing wrong with a blue dress. And I found that to be very, very helpful. Mm. But are there any practical guides, Dave, that you and Sue have employed as you've dealt with some of these issues over time? Maybe some of the things you've refined and said, you know what, you know what? I think if it has something to do with this, then in your culture, in your context, maybe we can transport some of us into our culture and context, maybe not, but are there some areas that, or principles that you've used to be able to guide you? Of course, you already shared with us practical counsel in talking about humility and receiving criticism. In fact, embracing it because it's going to make us more like Christ. But are there other practical, especially concerning number seven, the things we fight about that are just foolish, Dave? Um, one thing that has helped me a lot is I, I try very much not to say something right at the beginning. Let's say um, Dave does something or has a habit or whatever, and it annoys me. Um, very seldom will I say something right off because I know that my heart is deceitful. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm selfish. And it could very well be that I'm the one that's wrong and not him. And so I will try to take time to pray about something, to think about it, to see, is this really something where he does not look like Christ? And therefore it is my responsibility to help mold him into the image of Christ. Or is this something that is just my problem. And oftentimes I will come to the conclusion that this is really more about me than it is about him. And I'm the one that needs to grow here. So it's so easy for us to automatically assume that I'm right. The other person's wrong, but that is not always the case. So to try to, before you say anything, really spend some time in prayer and in thought to see where am I wrong in this issue? I think the biblical principle behind that, it would be the verses in Proverbs that say that love covers a multitude of sins. At the same time that we are a chisel called by God to help our spouse look like Christ, our children look like Christ, that doesn't mean that every little imperfection, temporary as it may be, needs to be pointed out and corrected. There is a place when love covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean that it it looks away, it pretends it didn't happen, but there is a place for understanding that there are temporary lapses. Maybe that tone of speech wasn't the best to be used, but you realize it's been a hard day. There's a lot of stress and tension. I, I'm not going to bring that up now. 
But when something begins to characterize me, then it becomes more an issue of helping the other to look like Jesus. So I, I think that idea of you're not the world's policeman. You're not your spouse's policeman. And there is space for grace and tolerance until something becomes an issue that it is characterizing that person and they are unaware of it. I, I know there are some people in our audience who have brought an issue up to a spouse repeatedly and the other refuses to see it. There comes a time when you need to stop. Uh, the, the, the wife of an unbelieving husband in 1 Peter 3 is told through the gentleness and quietness of, her, of a, a submissive spirit to stop to stop throwing salvation in her husband's face. There comes a time when she just needs to take it to the Lord and ask him to change the spouse. She's addressed it once, she addressed it twice, and, and he or she refuses to see it. Then it is time to let God to take the part, to do his part. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Being slow. Just be slow. Don't, don't say the fast words that come uh, onto your tongue. And, and just commit it to the Lord. Just commit it to the Lord. Thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate the piece of advice that you've just given us uh, this evening and uh, uh, for Monday and Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, allow us to end our show here and right now. Of course, I'll be in conversation with Dave and see to see what will be the next opportunities that we will have uh, to be able to get more content that they have spent so much energy and time over developing and testing and actually lived out for the last almost 40 years or more than 40 years actually um and so thank you guys so much uh, for tuning in of course next week is going to be awesome i do have uh, mr or dr john norris who is going to be with us uh, through the month of uh, december uh, i think even up to the 31st i told him it might just be me and him on the show, but I told him I don't mind being just you and I, right? Because most people would like to celebrate Christmas, but we will be live. We will be live recording a couple of episodes. And Dave, I'm not going to be working. It's just going to be talking about God's word right here in my sitting room, uh, nine o'clock p.m. in the night. And, and so I'm really looking forward, even for you, Dave, to have you again. Um, I'm going to be developing the calendar for next year. I definitely heard what you said when you say that October is kind of open. Uh, and so don't be surprised when you get an invite from me to come to Rwanda and speak to the couples there. Those in Uganda, Kenya, save up. Maybe one of those opportunities will be yours to fly over and just spend some time with us. I'm not promising anything. I'm just simply going to reach out to Dave and see if that is going to be a possibility. But guys, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank Allow you. me to end the show right here. Please go ahead and subscribe cabindivals.com right now before you go to bed. Leave us your email address. I'm going to be sending you extra content of some of the things we've covered with Dave. Have a good night and hope to see you next week. God Bless you. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to before bed, you go to, before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Cabin Devils. Your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.